Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. Every season we do movie reviews of post 9-11 war movies. Uh, if you're a movie buff, you know that there are tons of movies about World War II. There, there are many well-known movies about the Vietnam War, maybe some not so much of the Korean War, um, and even less probably of Desert Storm, Desert Shield, and leading up into the post 9-11 generation. War movies, tend to come by every few years. Mostly it's about a particular mission, about the uh, particular hero. Um, so what we've decided over the last several seasons is that we want to review post 9-11 generation war movies because you know we want to see what the newest generation of movies dealing with the last 20 years of conflict are about. Um, this episode, uh, I will be joined by Army veteran and reservist Ryan All. Um, he's my normal co-host, uh, Catherine Guyon and Evan Mulgrave. The two movies that we decided to review for this episode were The 1517 to Paris and The Newest Craze Sweeping the Nation, Top Gun Maverick. But first, The 1517 to Paris was a 2018 American uh, biographical drama film, I guess you could call it. Uh, this was produced and directed by Clint Eastwood. So obviously a huge name attached to this film. This movie was based on a 2016 autobiography uh, titled The 1517 to Paris, The True Story of a Terrorist, a Train, and Three American Heroes by Jeffrey Stern, Spencer Stone, Anthony Sadler, and Alex Scarlatos. Uh, what's interesting about this movie is that Clint Eastwood hired the three American heroes, two of them veterans, to actually play themselves within the movie. That's kind of sort of the shtick of the movie. Um, we get to, in the movie, we get to the terrorist attack on this uh, French train and how these Americans, these brave guys, uh, were able to stop this attack. Um, but did we like the movie? You're going to find out in our episode. The second movie we're going to talk about, you've probably heard about, is Top Gun Maverick, the sequel to one of the 80s biggest movies, Top Gun. With Tom Cruise, uh, he comes back as Maverick. Um, you'll see in Val Kilmer, he comes back as Iceman. Uh, there couldn't have been a bigger difference in what we thought of 1517 to Paris and what we thought of Top Gun Maverick. If you have not seen Top Gun Maverick, spoiler alert, so don't watch or listen to this podcast if you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick yet, I would highly encourage you to go out and see it now uh, and then come back and listen to our review of the movie. Um, I think that you're gonna have a lot of fun with this episode. We certainly did watching both of these movies and, uh, <laughs> And even in a spoiler alert for the podcast, Catherine has never seen the original Top Gun. So she has a great story about what happened before she saw the original Top Gun and then went to see the sequel. Um, we thank you for joining us. Please like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And as always, thank you for watching The Scuttlebutt. Enjoy our movie reviews of The 1517 to Paris and Top Gun Maverick. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Ryan All. Glad to be back here to be doing another uh, movie review. Um, and we're hitting up Top Gun Maverick today. So I am pumped. Let's yes. do this. <laughs> yes. Oh, hi, everyone. I'm Catherine Guyon, um, news anchor at WTRF TV by trade, I suppose. Um, wannabe movie buff, I guess you could call me. And I have some really strong feelings that these guys are not going to like. But nevertheless, I am happy to be back with all three of them. <laughs> Can't wait. Evan, welcome back. Thank you very much. Evan Mulgrave, uh, filmmaker, um, uh, directed the BBC documentary, We Left His Brothers. 
which uh, is almost as much of a, an adrenaline uh, action ride as Top Gun Maverick. Um, and I'm looking forward to discussing the movies. Fantastic. From the intro, everybody listening, you know we're going to break down 1517 to Paris. You know we're going to get the Top Gun, the original, and Top Gun Maverick because, believe it or not, Catherine just watched the first one for the first time. So we're, we're going to get to this in all of her opinions. But first off, 1517 to Paris. Um, Catherine, you did pick this movie. I did. And I, so I feel like I should apologize, but also I'm not going to apologize because you all got enlightened on a piece of history about three gentlemen who are, well, I guess more than three people, but it was about these three guys who are undoubtedly heroes. But like, I picked it because it tugs on everything that I enjoy about this kind of like post 9-11 category of movies. Like they use real people who, I mean, the three stars of the movie were the playing themselves, which I thought was incredible that like, after what they went through that they were able to go back and kind of reenact that scenario because I mean it had to be it was insane if you watch the movie I mean it had to be just as crazy and adrenaline pumping and scary in some uh, scenarios as it was in real life so I was like oh, okay this is awesome that they're going to play themselves and then at the end it it showed like actual footage of them and the other people from the train like getting um, recognized by the French government and I was like oh this is really great but and I wanted to love it. And I was like, uh, that's yeah. not the best. I mean, I didn't hate it, but it like is not at the top of my like must watch list. As soon as I got done watching the movie, I think I, I texted or emailed you all. I said, I hated this movie. Um, but <laughs> what I was interested in is that one of our last movie reviews, if you've listened to it, you heard Evan and Ryan both be like, Clint Eastwood, yeah. Like, let's go. And I really was- <laughs> well, that was the other thing, yeah. And I was really like hoping, I was, I, I wanted to like this movie, but Evan and Ryan, you guys being such big Clint Eastwood fans, what went wrong with this movie? I'll, I'll, uh, just, I'll throw in there and just say, I think uh, the first biggest thing is like, you're taking civilians and being like, hey, act in a, in a blockbuster movie. Like, that's not easy to do. And Clint Eastwood makes some- he always makes like very bold choices and uh you know we've seen that in all the movies he does he makes some strange things he makes some strange decisions sometimes but i think like the biggest thing is like you're just asking you know a, a not a, a person who's not a professional actor to to be an actor and i think that that's probably the biggest the biggest thing what do you what do you think evan um yeah uh i i love a lot of his uh directorial output i mean unforgiven's one of my favorite movies ever um and yeah especially late period clint eastwood the things that he seems to be interested in are it can be very strange at times and i would i would put this movie in almost like a trilogy of like modern american heroism you have sully you have Richard Joel in this movie, which kind of looks at what, you know, like everyday common Americans performing a act of heroism in a modernish setting. And this one, I would say, is the least successful of those. Um, just a lot of very strange choices. Um, you know, the, the movie, I remember it being billed very much about like the attack on the train, you know, and that's what the the title alludes to and things like that but most of the movie is not about that i mean a lot of it's like a coming of age story when they're children 
Mm-hmm. And I, and there's like this very like tonal whiplash because the beginning is very like almost corny. Like it's the, the movie is populated mostly by like television comedic actors like uh, Judy Greer, um, Jenna Fisher from The Office, um, the, the guy from Arrested Development is the gym teacher. So there's like this very light tone to the beginning. Um, and yes, using the actual guys as the actors, there is kind of a, a, a gap in experience. Talent. And yes, mm-hmm. and that it does show through. Um, and then the end is this like very violent, um, uh, like there's no music over the attack and it's very visceral and very violent. And it does feel like a, a, a whiplash over what we've seen before then that feels almost like this kind of like corny, hokey kind of like down home story. And I don't know if that was the intention um, to show like how traumatic an experience like that would be to like couch it in all of this very like light fluffy stuff. But um, I would say that that experiment was not entirely successful. Well, like you got Evan, you and Ryan both mentioned the dialogue, like these actors. And that's kind of what got me, like when they're going through the scenes, like on the train and stuff like that, or even when um, I think it was like Spencer came home and he had just gotten, you know, turned down and he's like, you know, yelling at his mom, like those types of scenes like felt kind of real to me. But then there's this scene where I think it was Anthony and Spencer were sitting there in that hotel room and they're talking about how like Spencer was about to leave or whatever and it was like written dialogue for them and that's where you could tell you're like oh these guys are not actors they seem like super uncomfortable like it was like an awkward conversation which you wouldn't have if you were sitting down with a buddy that you've known since like elementary school you know it just wouldn't be that weird also you're talking about the beginning there's like some big plot holes in in their childhood that I needed filled in that were not (laughs) overall true it's like I, I was furiously writing notes during this movie, and, and I think the first note I wrote uh, is, "Why am I watching a grade school comedy?" Like yeah. even that first <laughs> ominous like part of like we're watching the attacker get to the train. Suddenly, there's this flashback to them as kids, um, and and it wasn't like Disney level talent kids where like you know. The Goonies, you watch that movie, you're like, all these kids are incredible. You know, like there's, there's this mm-hmm. there's this level of talent that somehow Disney finds these kids that can all act really well. This was like, you know, I'm gonna pluck this kid from this school and this kid from this school and put him in the movie and let's see what happens. Um, plus, weirdly, they like all knew the same handshake, even though they were just sort of meeting each other. It was like this really involved handshake. I'm like, why does everybody know the handshake? Like, I don't know the handshake. Why do they all know the handshake? Um, <laughs> and like when the principal would call in the mothers for some reason, he always called in the two mothers together. That mm-hmm. also seems strange. Like, are they a package deal? They, they have different kids. Like what? <laughs> I don't understand. Well, then like all of a sudden they're at one school and then they move to the other one. And then, you know, the one kid goes away and they're just like, oh, I think it's best to, for him to live with his dad. But like, why? And then where does he go? Like their whole life. And then fast forward. And then they're like, what? Like, like adults now they have to be, you know, probably over 18 and where where were we in the middle? Just, and the fact that the principal made the call that I think he should stay with his dad, like yes. I think that's a pretty like gross overstep of a principal's Hard. responsibility to be like, I think you should give up custody of your child. Also the teacher that's like, put your kids on drugs. 
Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. very odd. We need to drug your kids because they have ADHD. There's this going on. I starred this. Doesn't elementary still get to choose uh, who is the guardian of a kid? I was like, when <laughs> when did that happen? I was like, because he's like, I think you need to, I think you need to go live with your dad. The next scene, it's like he's got to go live with his dad. I was like, wait a second, what just happened? And you're right. The big plot hole here is, let me back up. The idea is. Let's look at these guys as heroes now. I love that part of the movie. These yeah. guys are heroes. I think it's an interesting twist. It's it's a it's it's an interesting thing to put in the movie that they're going to play themselves. It is. It's a way to bring put butts in seats. You know, like hey, these guys are playing themselves. Incredible. I I loved that idea, but we had there was the the storyline of um, the terrorist attack is is so small they felt i think is that they felt like okay well we need to go back and fill in their entire backstory but i think they went back too far into the right. elementary school what we want to, and what we've learned here even at, at veterans breakfast club is we want to learn about why you enlisted most kids most veterans don't then start talking about when they were five they, they maybe talk about they had military in their family or they talk about when they got into high school and what they started getting interested in and they talk about maybe college wasn't working out or they talk about they wanted to see the world a lot of different reasons but what we did is go way back into grade school and and watch them run around with guns in, in you know in the forest and start to see little bits of like them understanding the military there's like flashes of it in the background a poster this that and the other thing which brings me to another point is whenever i can't remember the character the guy he's he's working at the ice cream parlor or wherever jamba juice <laughs> jamba juice he's working at jamba juice and he looks out the window and sees an enlistment van and he's like what's that and i'm like you just spent part of the movie showing us that they were interested in the military like he's probably had some level of understanding i know that this is like him trying to inform the audience in a way of like what's that and let's you know ex you know do that whole thing where we have to teach you about what that is but this character shouldn't have to learn about that i would assume the character would know what that is yeah right? also like not to be crass or make fun of it but i mean I feel like they made him seem way less intelligent than he probably is in real life in that moment when you're looking out the window and it's clearly labeled like army, marine. <laughs> like I I'm sure this guy in real life, I have no doubt that he's intelligent, you know, but like they made him seem very much less so. And I don't think that if you're trying to do a story about somebody in real life that is a hero, I don't think it's fair that you make them seem, you know, less than. Yeah. yeah. And and the idea of like, you know, going back all the way to when they're children, I'm sure part of that was to take some of the pressure off the non-actors of like, you know, we're not going to put the entire movie on their shoulders, the entire 90 minute runtime that they have to act in it. Mm -hmm. But you go back that far and then the inciting incident to you wanting to join the military is like buying a Marine a smoothie at your job. <laughs> it just felt very odd. <laughs> Also, you mentioned it. The movie was only 90 minutes. Like, that's short for a movie. They had the time, could have gone another half an hour and filled in some of these holes for us, or given me a better ending. I'm not the ending, too. The movie was 90 minutes? Yeah, that was it. it felt like two and a half hours to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought it was fast, because I saw the end of it. I was like, wait a minute. That was only an hour and a half. They had time. And I also made a note here. He asks which branch it says and it's on the truck. <laughs> it's like, you're right, Catherine. Like it made him not seem very intelligent. No, uh, and I mean, like these guys are smart, you know, mm -hmm. they're, they're, you know, it was just too much of cheese for me. It was too cheesy. Brian. 
to to Sean's point, I think it would have made more sense to straddle the timeline a little better, like a little bit before the action and then also like the aftermath of like, you know, what was it like to deal with that and all of those things. But at the same time, like I get it. It's it's cool to like get people interested because these people are playing themselves. Very cool. I wouldn't want that. I'd be like, I, I want like Brad Pitt or Keanu Reeves <laughs> yeah. to play me in the movie. Like I just want to be sitting there in a director's chair watching Keanu Reeves go ham on some bad guys and be like, yeah, that's me. That's- okay, pop-up question then. When we're when someday we're making a movie about all of our lives, who's playing you? Guys, who's playing you if we're not acting as ourselves? Oh, I don't know. That's I'm going to say Carl Urban, only because I've been watching The Boys and he's pretty incredible. Oh, that's, that's a good I mean. pick. Yeah. I feel like Evan has to have thought about this. Oh, jeez. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, I sadly have not. I'm trying to think. This is um, gonna be this is gonna be a follow up question at the end of the podcast. We'll marinate on this. Okay. okay, Carl was just my first thought, but I might I might have a different name. Um, <laughs> so they keep flash. The problem with the movie was is not only did they go back and we're watching them as grade school and sort of them growing up, which I was semi okay with, but I'd only be really okay with it if it was like let's watch it for ten minutes. I texted Ryan a half an hour into the movie and I said. I, this is 15, 17 to Paris, and I've seen five seconds of it. It's like, what, what, what am I watching? And that's, that was my biggest issue with it, and especially the point where they were like, okay, let's get them to the point now where both of the two of them, the two friends have, have enlisted. One of them's deployed to Afghanistan. Uh, the last friend, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Um, Anthony. Anthony, thank you. Uh, he, he hadn't enlisted, but they're like, hey, let's go on a trip to Europe. We're going to all meet up. And he said, he said, he's like, I don't got any money. He's like, yeah, we'll max out your credit card. He's like, okay, cool. I'll do that. Um, but then suddenly it, it became like, it wasn't a, 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 a elementary school comedy. It became our, our summer trip to Europe where we were like following them through Europe in these really awkward improv scenes of just like, Hey, where do we go next? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Let's party. Let's, let's hang out with this girl. Let's go sightseeing. And it was like, again, what am I watching? Like, Clint, what, where are we going with this? Or, you know, eventually we're going to get on the train, but why do we have to watch the, the tour of Europe? Well, the only purpose I saw that that scene and where were they Amsterdam, where they were partying has was like, they were talking about not going to Paris. And I guess the whole point of it there was like, if they're having such a good time and they don't go to Paris and they're not on that train, like who knows what happens. But like, I, I, I guess that scene was important, but like, you're right. It was like too much of like, let's see the sights without showing me anything. If I'm going to go to Rome, show me the Colosseum. You know, I've never been there. <laughs> also, at one point, he just, the, the two buddies end up on a rooftop and the one whips out a cigarette and starts smoking. I was like, wait a second. Like, when did he start smoking? He's like this guy who decided to get into serious shape. He's running everywhere. He's doing pushups like crazy. And suddenly he's smoking. Not that I care that he's a smoker, but I was just like, where was that layered in? Where, what part? There all these things that kept getting thrown at us. And I think it all probably would have worked a little bit better had we gotten to the actual attack and maybe had some flashbacks within that. You're right, Evan, that that, that was really intense. But there were points where, you know, the, the terrorist got, he cut him on the back of the neck. There were parts that, you know, he was able to injure him. And uh, if the, we had flashed back at that point, suddenly you're like, oh my God, what happened to him? And I want to know, like, I, I know he survives, but, you know, give me a little bit of, of, of tension in that moment. Yeah, I feel like it was probably a, a story that 
someone heard and said, this should be a movie. That's a movie. You know, three guys that happen to be on this train stopping an attack. But, you know, and then I think when you hear the details of it and they're like, yeah, it was like 50 seconds, you know, <laughs> this guy coming out and like then trying to extrapolate that to a movie length. Like, like you look at something like United 93, where it's all on the plane and there's like a, a long period of time. And that's what I like expected from this movie mm -hmm. to it to be like kind of like this human kind of almost like a thriller. But the it, everything happened so fast that I think that they were like, well, where's the movie here? And then they tried to tell the guy's story, but you're never really invested due to the kind of the lack of ability on the actor's end. And then just these bizarre choices to go back even further and and all of their relationship as kids feels very like cliched mm -hmm. um so yeah just by the time you do get to the attack you don't really feel like you know the guys any better um and uh yeah it's a, a bizarre bizarre choice on clint's end i would say probably one of the less successful i've seen of his ryan would you agree that the movie in some way is like a a, a military i i, I hesitate to use the word propaganda, but it's like, we want to show what it's like to join the military. That's part of what I think they could have pulled out of this. And I think they really could have dove into like the idea of them enlisting, what the military meant to them, that it was important for them to serve, why those, those types of questions I think would have just taken this movie to the next level of like understanding their motivations and why they're, why they're serving their country. Sure, yeah, I think it um, leaves, uh more responsible kind of like they've been molded through the military so they felt this greater sense of purpose and, and this is what the military can do for you and then so they have to act even though it's like not really their responsibility so i guess there's like there's that piece of it but it that's uh it, it didn't come across real strong in the movie so i mean overall two thumbs down for me <laughs> why i don't ever want to pick the movies we should leave it no, like it's not a bad thing. It's good. To, we can't always talk about the good ones like <laughs> Top Gun. Right, right. I, I mean, I would give 1517 two thumbs down. And the only way I'd give one, one thumb a medium is the end scene, the actual award ceremony in France. Watching that was kind of surreal. It was like, usually you see the actors up there and then they show this in the post credits and whatnot. But it was like, oh, this is this this actually happened. This is the real filming. And then they sort of blue screened in the two mothers. But like, okay, but see, I'm mad about that though. And I'll tell you why. Hmm. That's what I couldn't figure out. I'm like, okay, by the time I realized that this was like actual footage where I'm like, okay, who's that other guy up there? And then I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I'm realizing it's real footage. And then I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And then I turn around and I see like, you know, their screen moms there with their actual moms. And I'm like, okay, that didn't need to happen because if you truly want to show that you're in actual footage, but there was no like transition into like, oh, this is what happened to them after. Or like, why are they not in their military uniform? getting this like they are in the military they're just like in polo shirts and khakis like how soon did this happen what happened to the guy that got hurt you know i want to know what happened to all these like what happened to the poor little dog you know <laughs> like there was no there was no ending where did these guys go after this like it just i thought that was cool but then i was like oh there's credits <laughs> fill in the hole completely agree and for our audience, uh, I don't know, Evan, Catherine, if, if you went two two thumbs down, one thumb sideways. Yeah, I gotta I gotta give my boy Clint two thumbs down. Watch Unforgiven instead; it's better.
Yeah. Can I give it like a down and a half? Like kind of where I went. Like I like kind of like part of it. Simple. By the way, I think there's stories also a book. If we want to start a like DBC book club. I don't know if I could read the book on this. I could be like 200 pages in and I'm like, I've read about his like childhood handshakes and I'm like. <laughs> Sean would be rage texting me like, you're never picking anything ever again. <laughs> I really like that you did pick this because I did want to see it. I was like, oh, awesome. I, I've, I've wanted to watch this movie and then halfway through, so I was like, I. what is going on here? Um, so our audience, if, if you want to see it, I would actually suggest just fast forward till about the last 15 minutes of the movie it's just like maybe watching Titanic. If you just want to watch the boat sink, you know, fast forward to that part and, you know, watch that part. Um, or if you don't want to, if you don't want to watch it, either watch that little part or just Google these guys and read about them because, you know, they do deserve the recognition. It just could have been better. Yeah. Yeah. I think they could have told the story better, but the recognition for them and, and the act of heroism there is, is uh, unquestionable. It, it's incredible. So that was the piece that I'm like, I'll give it a half because, um, you know, what, the, what they accomplished is, is, was terrifying. And, uh, and I'm so happy that they were able to subdue that, that terrorist, cause it could have been really, really bad. Um, <clears throat> so having got that one out of the way, <laughs> let's start with Top Gun one, simply because I know we, every audience knows Ryan and I love this movie, Evan and Catherine both had a bit of a different opinion though. Catherine, let's start with you because, uh, you just recently watched it for the first time. Yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we're doing Top Gun, yeah, my aviator's on. Uh, yeah, yes, love the whatever. Aviators. Tom Tom Cruise looks better in him anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like, let me tell you guys the story. So I'm all excited about like, yeah, we're doing another movie podcast. I'm super excited. I've never seen Top Gun. I kept seeing it come <laughs> up in like Netflix and Amazon, and I never watched it. So I go home and I said to my husband, I was like, hey, guess what? We finally picked our movies for you know. BBC movie reviews and he's all excited because he watches every single one of these with me right and he's like oh okay what are we watching and I said you know told him about 15 17 of Paris and he's like oh I've never seen that one and I told him a little bit about it and he's like oh that's cool I said and we're watching Top Gun Maverick and he's like oh we have to go to the movies and I said well we're watching the original Top Gun and I and I was like I'm excited I've never seen it and he looks at me and he goes you've never seen Top Gun and I said no and he goes we well, you know Goose dies ruin <laughs> ruin no because goose is like the type of character that i would like be like oh, okay he's my favorite he's funny he's awesome i'm like gonna root for this guy and then i would be like but the whole movie i couldn't even focus because i'm like when's goose gonna die is this gonna ruin me am i gonna cry what like wrecked wrecked spoilers wow. these are things that like these are things that hurt a marriage guys yeah strike one buddy <laughs> Incredible. But I like my whole ex viewing experience was now tarnished because like I 100% did not know that Goose dies in Top Gun. Top, swear to God, did not know, never watched anything about it. And then I find to find out that way the whole movie, I'm just like, I, I can't like him because I know he's going to die and then I'm never going to see him again. So. And boy, what a crux that part, just that part of the first movie and how much how much weight it bears going into the second movie. Um, which I want to get into, but Evan, why why were you not a big fan of Top Gun 1? Um, I think the first time that I saw Top Gun was probably at the height of my movie snobbery, um, you know, when I was like starting to get into, you know, uh, more elevated cinema and, and I was just like, this is... Give junk. me Criterion Collection. Yeah, please. exactly. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of, uh, 
it's a perfect encapsulation of a certain type of 80s cinema. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of junky. The main romance doesn't really work. Um, I, the, and I think like the new one does a really good job of taking some of the things that I had like a problem with of the first one, like that they never mentioned the threat. You know, it's just we're, we're fighting someone, <laughs> you know? And I remember seeing that at the time and being like, I, what is going on? Why aren't they saying who they're going after? Um, and there's a lot more like 80s corniness. Um, you know, the Val Kilmer character is, I mean, Iceman's hilarious in that movie. Um, yeah, I think I just saw it at a period of time where I couldn't appreciate it for what it was. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I, I might enjoy it more now where I'm just able to turn my brain off and be like, oh, all right, it's Top Gun. Please. So wait, you've only seen Top Gun once? No, I mean, I've seen it on TV, like parts okay. of it on TV about a gajillion times. Right. But um, yeah, it's never been one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite uh, memes I've seen recently since Maverick came out was, uh, it's a picture of Iceman, Val Kilmer, and, you know, as the pilot in Top Gun and then in his like official DOD, like Admiral photo in Maverick. And it just says... <laughs> It just says, the D-bag lieutenant from Top Gun becoming an admiral is the most accurate portrayal of military life I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like, that sounds about right. Yeah. So let's yeah. start there with Maverick, and we'll say spoiler warning. If you've seen it, continue on with the podcast. If you haven't seen it, go see it right now. What are you doing? Why haven't you seen it? And then come back and, and listen to our review of it. But give you Ryan, plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah, we'll pause. You pause there. But uh, Ryan, to start there with military accuracy, how well does Maverick hold up? I know you're That's Army. That's a tough question because yeah. it's a Navy movie, right? And the Navy's weird. The Navy is just a weird, like, environment unto itself. They have different terms. They have, you know, weird traditions. So I can't, I can't really, like, accurately answer that. I think, like, you know, and, and plus it's, it's popcorn. It's, 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 mm -hmm. you know, it's made to be like funny and entertaining and Maverick is a Maverick and just like does things that you would never get away with, but they give him that cover in the movie, like, Oh, Iceman's looking out for him and stuff like that. So um, it's cool. The characters are cool. I mean, I can't, uh, the, the John Hamm in a, in a Navy uniform, Oh my goodness. That was enough to make the movie an A plus right there. Right. I mean, that was great. The, the uniforms, the, 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 the action, the G's that they pull. I mean, it's, and, and then the fact that Top Gun Maverick, this is my favorite part opens just like the original movie. Just about so to say that. It so just good. opens up and it's just like, bam, the Navy weapon, Naval weapons fighter school is pff, Top Gun. And then it goes right into the music and the exact same opening scene on the carrier and, and Highway to the Danger Zone is playing. And I'm, I'm just in the theater, just like, yes! <laughs> just, just I did not put that song in there. I think it would have like ruined it for a lot of people. Totally. Like, it had to be in there. And but, I think you, so, catch a, go, you catch a very quick glimpse in that first like montage of the movie of an F-35. It's like the only right. time the Navy let us see one, which is like the most recent, you know, stealth fighter that we have. Um, but then it was all about the F-18 after that. But Catherine, go ahead. So, because I'm a nerd and I'm proud of this, I like see these things and I'm like, was this real? 
Like, is this what it's really like? So, you know, I go over to my good friend, Google, and <laughs> I type in like how much of Top Gun was real. So then I, or I went into this like YouTube hole of like, if how much of like Maverick and like all of that was real. And I was watching this thing. I wish I could find it now. I actually just looked, but it was on YouTube and it's supposedly like um, the director talking about he did it with some like newspaper like the new york times or something like that like the director breaking down a scene and it was that one where they're there with like the stealth aircraft and apparently they built that he has this line in there where he's like we built this based off a prototype that like may or may not exist so like i'm thinking in a and he was talking about shooting it at a site that had never before been like seen by cameras so i'm thinking that like somewhere in some of this like it has to be based on accuracy, at least in terms of like how they fly and like, you know, the military technology. And actually at my news station, when Maverick came out, we ran this story. I think it was like from CBS. It was a story with two of the pilots that did the flying for the original Top Gun movie. So it was really cool to talk about them, like how they did that scene where they're like right on top of each other and like yeah. how accurate the flying was. So I think like they tried to make it accurate. I mean, Tom Cruise had these like, the younger actors going through like training school did yeah, you guys yeah. see that for maverick yeah. i mean mm -hmm. i think they tried to keep it like fairly accurate in terms of like being in the planes i mean they're like working as their own camera people in the planes it was like really crazy yeah i think like um for the vast you can tell like in the vast majority of it they're, they're not flying the jets but they're in jets like you yeah. can tell with the way that they are their body is reacting like they're they're in real life like pulling g's and you can see like what that does it's pretty it's pretty cool um and so my first spoiler alert right i had expectations going into maverick and i was like okay maverick i was like maverick's gonna get shot down and and then get in some super secret spy plane and then like win the war single-handedly right but then this the super secret spy plane is in the very beginning and then he gets shot down which i was like okay that's gonna happen and then they go the exact opposite direction. They steal an F-14. And I was like, oh, here we go. Yes. Like Maverick taking down fifth generation fighters in an F-14. This is ridiculous, but it's amazing. <laughs> I was just I, like, with, with Goose's son in the back. I was like, you can't make this stuff up. Yeah, you can't. It, it, there were a couple bait and switches in it. So yeah, that, that's that new advanced fighter that he was test flying in the beginning. And he takes it past Mach 10 and it burns up in the atmosphere and you're like, okay, was, did we just witness the end of Maverick's life? And now we're going to flash back and see how he got to this point. That's kind of what I thought was going to happen, but no, he survives this and he walks into a bar and he doesn't know where he's at. Cause he just went Mach 10 over the country. And you have no idea how far he went. Incredible. <clears throat> I almost have nothing critical to say about Top Gun Maverick it, at all. And I've read a lot about how people were not pleased with um, character development story and the love interest. And to me, I was looking at it and I was like, character development, I thought was fine. We've, we, we've already established that these are the best pilots that he's gonna be training. So we don't need much character development with them. They're sort of already established. So I'm, I'm not worried about seeing them develop. Tom Cruise's character, Maverick, we're seeing him develop through the movie. And the main thing that we see him develop on, and this is something that uh, probably hit me a lot harder after working with veterans, I would think, um, is his uh, regret about Goose dying in the first one. There was so much emotional weight to that, that you feel that. You'll feel that presence of Goose through the entire movie. And that's something that, that when you 
listen to veterans talk about their stories, they're usually talking about the guys they served with, or the guys they lost, or the buddies that they were with. And that's what I think really was hitting home through the entirety of Maverick was, you know, we see Goose's son, he's in this group that, that Tom Cruise is trying to train. He doesn't want to take him on this suicide mission. He's dealing with that sort of like, how do I do this? How do I not have him hate me? Because I have no good decision here. Um, the love interest uh, with Jennifer Conley, I thought it was fine. It, it was exactly what it needed to be. It wasn't so overt. It wasn't like layered in at every piece of the movie. It was a person that he could connect with back at the Top Gun school. That's all we needed was, was someone that he could talk to in private because there really wasn't anybody else other than Iceman who we, we can get to later. Um, and so in plot, I mean, yeah, they're fighting another nameless country, but that's Top Gun. Like what, what other yeah. plot do you really need of like, hey, we got to take down this, this site and we got to train to get to that point, you know? to make an unpopular opinion though like one of the biggest things that i hated about the first movie was like the love interest part i'm like i'm watching this movie like i want to see them like flying planes and like being at top gun school like i don't need like them at her house having some weird like it's 400 degrees outside let's wear our jackets outdoors and sit here and drink wine and talk about like life like i could have done without the romantic stuff of it all just like you know fly planes Show me some action. I don't know. I just said yeah. I didn't like it. Yeah, I think that part of it was definitely improved over the first movie. I, I would say overall, the film felt like like seeing the stones or something, and they just shut up and play the hits. Like, you know, it's like seeing an old touring band, and they're like, we're not going to play the new album. We're going to give you exactly what you want. Um, and uh, especially with the way that blockbuster films have gone over the past decade or two, where heavily reliant on like CGI and these like very spectacular imagery that aren't really tied to anything human. So a lot of times it can, you just, I don't get emotionally invested in those films. Nothing feels exciting because they can do anything. And, you know, how many skyscrapers have I watched get swallowed by the earth or giant explosions or, or stuff like that. And because so much of this is like tactile and real, like it adds so much to mm -hmm. those action scenes. And like you said, like you can tell they're in those planes, like feeling those G's and, and um, they're not on a green screen or anything like that. And I think, like it's just very you know is it the deepest film of all time no but it's very well done hollywood level storytelling like i love that they're showing you the mission that they're going to be doing over and over and over again like it's burnt into your brain the pathway that they have to take they have to do the you know flip upside down to go over the mountain you know two miracles and then up and over so when that climax does like finally come i feel like a lot of times when I'm watching a big Hollywood movie, I don't know what's happening, where characters are in relation to each other because they're flying all over the place. But like, I knew exactly what needed to happen in that scenario. So like, you know, there were parts where I'm like holding my breath as like planes are going over this ridge and stuff like that. So I, I just thought it was really well done. Um, you know, they weren't trying to reinvent the wheel, but they didn't need to, you no. know? What, what I was most happy about was a happy ending it was just like you know he gets shot down then goose's son goes back after him you know and 
and yeah, that kind of got a little, I was at to the point, I was like, okay, wait, this could be a whole separate movie. Like we could have ended here and we could have had a sequel of them trying to escape this country. And I loved how I found the F-14 and they get up into this thing. And that's, it, that's where you like your suspension of disbelief has happened for enough time. And you've built up a good, enough goodwill by telling me a good story that I'm like, cool, do whatever you want. I'm here for the ride. Um, but you're definitely going into Top Gun Maverick, especially with him like going Mach 10 and blowing up the plane at the beginning. You're like, is Maverick going to die at the end of this movie? Like, is that where we're headed? Like, are we going to have like, you know, all of this stuff? Yeah, Iceman, um, you know, he he dies from throat cancer. Um, but I love the fact that at the end, it just felt good. It just was like, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't have to mourn something at the end, which was really great. It was just like, feel good. You, you liked the story. You liked, you know, he gets the girl in the end. He gets, he gets all of it. It's just like, this is Maverick. This is Maverick is just the lucky guy who just does it all. Um, and if I have any maybe minor critique, it is that, that Iceman does die in this because it's like, he sees him. They have this really great conversation. I love that scene. And Ryan, you had a, a good, a good idea about that scene that I want to get to. Um, but then in the, the next thing you figure out is that Iceman dies. And it's like, he didn't look like he was going to die in the scene that we just saw him in. So they kind of just needed to do that in the storytelling to like release the final protective layer of Maverick so that he could come back and steal an F-18 and, you know, run the gauntlet because he's the only one who can, um, you know, that was sort of like the only like, okay, that, that kind of jarred me just a touch, but talking about that scene specifically, Ryan, you've noticed something in that. Yeah. So, um, when he goes to Iceman's house and they're like, oh, he's sick again. I'm like, I'm like, this, this doesn't, uh, this doesn't surprise me. I immediately, my, my, my antenna went up. Like Val Kilmer is a notoriously like mercurial guy, guy hard to work with, been in and just didn't, hasn't looked good well or, or well. So I'm like, okay, doesn't surprise me that they're telling me he's sick immediately. So when they see him in the room, he actually looked a lot better than I thought he was. I was expecting him to be like bedridden and just like whatever. But the other thing that was weird about this, and I was wondering if anybody else noticed this, was I don't think Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer were ever actually in the same room for that scene. Because every single time I was looking at it, they always show the other person. And if the other person is in the scene, you don't see their face. Like if you can see Val's face, you can't see Tom's face. And, the, and when they get up and they embrace and they hug, Tom's face is in shadow. You can't see it. And I was just sitting there thinking like, I don't, I don't think... That, that they were ever in the same room for that scene. And I just thought that that was really weird. And I thought the other part about it was like, oh, it's throat cancer, so he can barely talk. Like, were they only able to get Val to sign up for like six minutes of screen time? And he's like, I'm doing no more than three lines. And they're like, okay, it's okay. You don't have to, Val. We'll just type it out for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just very felt Stephen like Hawking. there's probably a backstory behind this. Like, Val was really tough to work with. And they were like, okay, whatever. We'll just get him in there get what we need out of them and then kill them off. And, you know, yeah. like, I, I think you, you might be right about them not being in the same place at the same time. Cause thinking about how they did, they did shoot a lot in coverage, but I do actually think that Val like has a hard time speaking now. Like, I, I, think I think he that, can. Yeah. Yeah. I think that like, he is not taking rules, like a lot of rules because of, of, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it is throat cancer, but it might be. So I think that is, like they went that direction with it, but I have also heard the the, the many stories of Al Kilmer being a, uh, <laughs> a quite a pain to work with. So I think that it could be a mixture of the two. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think wasn't there just a documentary made about Val Kilmer? And I think I had heard something or was reading something like 
they had to use part of his son's voice to like make his voice because I don't know that he really can speak like from what I have heard yeah I'd have to don't quote me on that because I I'm just trying to remember like things that I had read or whatever but I I think his voice had to be like restored or something they did I they I can't remember what the documentary's on but I think they did just make a documentary about him yeah like I'd be interested I haven't seen it um and me being such a, a fighter pilot buff and geek like I agree that every single piece of being in the F-18s was just perfection every action scene was perfection ryan and i have spoken about how there aren't that many great films that show real true dogfighting or just interesting exciting dogfighting there might be three i think in the entirety of like the american cinema um top gun probably being the best um but this one i think takes the cake i think this one goes above and beyond uh not only do you get dogfighting but you get a lot of really cool stunts you get a lot of the flares, which people just love. You just love a good flares, especially when he pulls the brakes, flies up and over him and releases the flares to stop the missile from hitting him. I'm just like so many chills moments of just like you wanted to scream in the in the movie theater and be like, yeah, um, <laughs> it, yeah. It, and I yeah, even at the end, whatever he decides to take on, um, he was saved like three times. He's like going to get killed by the hind helicopter and Goose's son saves him. Um, they take off in the plane, uh, and I love that it's so archaic. You see them sitting in a the plane, they're trying to figure out like, what are these spark plugs? What's going on? And and you know, Maverick yeah. is like, I love that. Me. I know what we're doing. Well, I love that he goes. That was your dad's job. Yeah, <laughs> when he's in the back <laughs> trying to figure out all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I think if uh, Bob was my favorite new character, like For love Bob. that character. <laughs> like, yeah. Just- from his very first line, you know, in the bar where they're like, what's your call sign? They're like, who's this? He's like, oh, that's Bob. And they're like, what's your call sign? He's like, it's Bob. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought Hangman was like a great Iceman stand-in. Too. Yeah, like like, like Hangman 2.0, uh, Iceman 2.0. Yeah. Like a little better looking, a little younger, right. just as much of a jerk. They did a good job with some of those. The one thing I think um, if, if I was to pick like one issue – be i want i want justice for kelly mcgillis like if val gets a role like kelly should get even if it's just like hey this just in from the pentagon and there's call sign charlie just giving you an update on what's going on in sector and it's just kelly mcgillis on a computer screen for like two minutes like that's all i wanted like she doesn't get to be she gets replaced by jennifer Connolly. that's ridiculous that is meg ryan getting killed off on screen too yeah you're like yeah your mom gets killed off yeah Yeah. like come on yeah, I would argue that Kelly McGillis's character didn't need to be in the first one, so Ooh, fine with yeah. her not being in the second. I told you I could have done the whole way without the romance drama in the first one, and I'm just gonna say it because we're skating around it, but we have to talk about it. I don't want to see any more shirtless sporting events. Like that could have gone. Oh come on! No, I, I don't. I want that was vintage eighties. That was great. The two, like when they were playing football with two balls, I had no idea what was happening. And I was just like, okay, does do does Tom Cruise not know how football works? I'm very confused. Also, they were like, how do we make a team? And they were like, well, have them play shirtless football-ish thing on Duh. the beach. Their team, like, boom. In a- yeah, Ryan, is that in uh, is that anywhere in the in the handbook there for the armed forces? <laughs> we, we- <laughs> <laughs> 
There are stories I could tell, Evan, but I don't think it's appropriate. <laughs> but no, I thought it was great that they like busted this like shirtless thing out, which is the other, which is, which brings up uh, another point, right? Like they, it's another, you know, homage to the, to the original one that they were going to show these guys without shirts on playing a beach sport. Okay, cool. But the other thing was, was like Tom Cruise, this is the first time I've seen Tom Cruise in a movie in a long time where I'm like, he kind of starting to look his age. A little bit, you know, like, mm-hmm. like it, it, you know, like no matter how well you treat yourself and whatever, like you can't hide those those jowls starting to form. That's just gravity <laughs> taking over your sixty year old body. And yeah. then when he is like shirtless on the beach, like you get like one point five seconds of like shirtless Tom Cruise. Like that's it, you know. And and I was like, I think he's, you know, it was it was a it was a uh, kind of a, a moment for me where I was like, Tom Cruise, he's he's getting up there. Scientology can't save everything, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> You're still human, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah two big thumbs up way up for me um, throughout the entire movie. I loved it from beginning to end. You know, I could watch it 10 more times and be perfectly happy every single time. And if, I, if, if rumor serves, I hear that they are potentially thinking of a Top Gun series to stream. I don't know how they're going to do it, you know this had such big budget you know how do you put dogfighting into a series without it looking hokey i don't know how they're going to do it but i hope they do i would i would see another sequel without maverick that's fine by me um continue it on with miles teller if you want one note although i wanted to make real quick is that you know the they lose when they when they take off with that f14 at the end they lose their front end landing gear so you know when they get back to the the aircraft carrier they're like oh crap they're gonna have to land without without their front landing gear and i'm glad that they decided to show that i'm glad that that was something that the navy maybe maybe the navy had checklists of like we need you to show this this and this to you know to show just different things that the military can accomplish or the military can do and the navy can do or whatever because i'm glad they didn't just gloss over that and suddenly they're back on the aircraft carrier and like you know everything's great you just knew that that last hurdle was like they're gonna have to land without landing gear and they showed that they showed the f-14 how it was going to land and be able to you know survive a land onto an aircraft carrier without it i thought that was really cool just a a cool technical thing that they decided to keep that's yeah i i agree i thought that that was pretty cool and i like it jogged something in my brain like i knew that navy uh carriers could like do that but it was like cool to see it happen Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that that was really neat. To, to, to your point, I was thinking about it, about like realism in the military. And the one thing that did pop out was like uh, that Evan brought up, right? You see the rehearsal of this mission like a hundred times before them to get to it. And that that is a very realistic thing. Like if you know you're going to do a mission, like you're going to prepare for it like over and over and over again and do rehearsals. And the military has this whole thing uh you know uh called rock drills or rehearsals and they want them to get as realistic as possible so that when you get to when it's go time and you get to the to the action like you are all prepared and know exactly like what needs to happen in what order um to do that and then you have like contingency planning and all sorts of other things and that was the one thing that that did stick out to me is like what if those two miracles don't happen like I guess they had those people in reserves, but you think you'd want them like closer. Like now the bad guys kind of know you're coming. You think you'd want like, instead of just two teams with like, you each get one shot. And if you miss, you're kind of screwed. Like, why wouldn't there be another team like immediately behind them? You know? So that was kind of like one thing that kind of stood out to me. Like you're asking for two miracles to happen, but you have no real contingency plan. If one of them does it. (laughs) 
Well, so. it had to be it had to be put in for America's Top Gun talent. You know, we had to have an elimination round. You know, so right. that they could all compete. Because if there was, uh, if if Iceman 2.0 was was right behind them, it's like okay, well they missed, so this guy's got to make it. Yeah. It was yeah. I mean, I I loved it. I mean, I was just in. I was in a. It was just so. It was just nostalgic, and it was it was awesome. And the new characters were great. I think that they, uh, the Miles Teller, you know, uh, Rooster character. I mean picked a fantastic actor for that i mean he looks like he could be goose's son which i think like really was cool the whole way through it i i think maybe it's because of the traumatic way that i found out that goose died but like the whole way through it i'm like are they gonna kill off rooster like am i gonna have to go through this again like i had this like little fear in the back of my mind like is that gonna be maverick's character development that he not only has to lose goose but he has to lose rooster too so i did have that like little thought in the back of my mind the whole way through which i like appreciated because i thought it made it like a little more suspenseful in that regard i don't know if i'm like the only one in the universe who thought that but there were points in my mind where i'm like oh my gosh we're gonna lose rooster too yeah and they did a good job as evan said you know it was very tactile it was very real and they they did a very good job i think of making the threat feel palpable like the whole time like this is not going to be easy and the chances of survival are very low and uh, they they really painted that picture throughout the entire movie, both in briefings and in the training and everything. Like, they did a good job of that. And I like that they did say at the beginning, because you had to think, anybody that knows anything about fighter jets or Navy or Air Force would say, well, what about the F-35 or the F-22? Why can't those do it? And, you know, they laid that out in the mission, like this is going to be a very low flying, you know, this is, that would mess with the F-35's radar. Like there are different things that they were saying, like you can't use the F-35 for this purpose. So the F-18 is what we have to use. And the problem is, is that we're going to use an F-18 and potentially have a dogfight against fifth generation fighters. And they say that a ton, fifth generation fighters, fifth generation fighters, you know, you're going to have to fight them. Um, but the maneuvers that the fifth generation fighters did whenever we got to that point, that just made it worth it. It was like, okay, which brings me to my last point and maybe this is the only slight other criticism, is that it sort of paints the Navy as being behind, in a way, being behind the ball. Like, you know, we're not as technologically advanced as we should be, um, which if you know anything about the F-35 or the F-22, we're quite a bit further ahead than where we were at with the F-18. And even the F-18 Super Hornet is pretty advanced. Um, so you can't necessarily look at the Navy and be like, well, God, they're so far behind. Like they, they have some pretty advanced fighters at this point as well. I just got this like vision of like Sean and Ryan, like I know you didn't see the movie together, but like I just have this mental image of you two, like sitting in a theater with your popcorn and then like a dramatic moments happen. You both just standing up and go, yes, like popcorn flying everywhere. Like I loved it. We did have it, an actual slow motion slash paused high high five. Yeah. <laughs> that's like that's like the next time we do this, I feel like that's the movie experience I want. Like I just want to watch something that you guys love and like have you freak out and like spill your popcorn everywhere. Yeah, I mean the way the movie ended when I walked out of the theater was like the end of the Breakfast Club. I just had my fist up and <laughs> yeah. Now I want to go find out what my call sign is. This wraps up our movie review episode. Um, I, I hope that if you are listening, uh, that you see both movies or all three movies. Why not? You know, send us some comments, uh, an email, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. Um, we'll go around the horn here. Evan, any final thoughts? 
Uh, no, no, definitely go see Top Gun Maverick. Uh, you know, 15, 17 to Paris. If you're a Clint completist, yes. Otherwise, you can skip that one. <laughs> Catherine? R.I.P. Goose. Never going to get over it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> and Ryan? Uh, Highway to the Danger Zone, man. And uh, it's still such an incredible song. I can't wait to buzz the tower again. Like, right. just a fantastic movie. Just so nostalgic. It is what it is. Just like Evan said, it is. Uh, and it's, and it does it great. Uh, so I was just so excited to see it. So excited to talk about it with you guys. And uh, yeah, justice for Kelly, you know, justice for- <laughs> hashtag justice for Kelly. Uh, well, if you're listening to the scuttlebutt, we'll have another movie review episode coming up next season uh we'll have to have uh ryan i believe you're up to be the next person to choose two more movies for us to review uh please like share subscribe ring the bell on youtube so you're the first to know whenever we release the new episodes every monday uh thank you for watching and uh we see you on the next episode of the scuttlebutt Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank both of our sponsors, the first being DND Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. They began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s, but they've grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. DND accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any type of job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D. That's D&D Auto Salvage. Uh, thank you so much to DND. Uh, they've been a sponsor for quite some time, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, the second being Tobacco Free Adagio Health. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and to getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health. So they want people to quit and they have classes and nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line, which is the easiest number to remember ever, 1-800-QUIT-NOW. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. Finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all of what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org, or you can watch our recent episode with Tobacco-Free Adagio Health on the Scuttlebutt, uh, where they talk about a lot of the programs that they offer for those who are looking to quit. Thank you to both of our sponsors for their continued support of the Scuttlebutt podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks.